Uh, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we pray your Holy Spirit's blessing upon us this evening as we read and study your word. We ask that you would open up our hearts and minds to understand and see how we, like the people of Israel, so often turn away from you and are unfaithful to you, and how important it is that we recognize that you are the giver of all good gifts, that we see your grace and mercy toward us, and that we join ourselves to you and to you only. We ask your guidance and blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'm going to go ahead and put the Bible text again on the screen. Uh, you should be able to see uh, Hosea chapter 1 up there. Okay. And last time we, we looked at this, and just kind of as a reminder, Hosea, uh, as it says in the opening verse, was a, a prophet uh, during the days of uh, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah when they were kings in Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, which would be the second Jeroboam, not the, not the first Jeroboam to reign in Israel, but the second one. And he had a long reign and, and actually was a very prosperous reign. It was kind of one of the uh, strong times as far as the kingdom of the north, Israel, uh, when things were really going well for Israel, but uh, it began to decline and troubles began to come because of their turning away from the Lord. And God had told Gomer to uh, marry, to take a wife uh, of whoredoms and children of whoredoms uh, because he was using that as a similitude, similitude uh, of the children of Israel and how they were being unfaithful to the Lord God. And so he marries Gomer, the daughter of Dibloim, and uh, she has a son who is named, uh, God says to name him Jezreel, uh, because God planned to avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and he'll cause the kingdom of Israel, the house of Israel, to cease. Uh, and I told you last time, Jehu... Uh, was he was used by God to carry out vengeance on Ahab, but he was really uh, brutal, and I think you could almost say overdid it. He had the 70 sons of Ahab beheaded and their heads delivered to him, uh, and so God was going to avenge uh, the blood of, of uh, Jehu on the kingdom of Israel. He's going to carry out judgment. And then the second child uh, that he has, uh, God says to call her name, uh, so it was a girl, name her Lu, Lo Ruhama. Lo means not, and Ruhama means mercy. Uh, because as it says, God says, I will no longer have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. And so God's mercy, his patience with Israel uh, was running out. And God was not going to show uh, mercy to Israel anymore, but she's going to be, the people of Israel are going to be carried away captive. And uh, God points out that he will have mercy on the house of Judah, uh, that they'll be saved by the Lord God, not by their bow or by their sword or by battle, by horses or by horsemen. And then after Lo Ruhama is weaned, uh, she conceives again and bears a son and God says, call his name Lo-Ami. Again, Lo is not. Ami is my people. Uh, and so the name means not my people. And he says, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. And so the name of this child is an indication that the people of Israel are no longer God's people, and God is no longer their God. And yet, in spite of this, God's promise is still sure. As it says in verse 10, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered, uh, which goes all the way back to God's promise to Abraham, which you look at the stars and count them if you can, so shall your seed be, or 
you know, and it says, as many as the sand, the grains of sand on the seashore, uh, his descendants would be. Uh, but it's not speaking just of physical descendants, it's speaking of spiritual descendants, those who have the faith of Abraham. And if we think of Galatians chapter 3, uh, it says at verse 26, year all the children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And then it goes on to explain that we're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so according to the scriptures, those who have faith in Christ and are baptized into Christ are Abraham's children, his seed. And so this great number that it speaks of here includes all who come to faith in Jesus, whether they be Jew or Gentile. And so it, as it says in that place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, and certainly the Gentiles were not regarded as God's people, uh, there it shall be said unto them, ye are the sons of the living God. And so we are the sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so this, this passage is fulfilled in you and me being brought to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and becoming Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, becoming a child of God. And it says, you know, then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. And so it speaks about uh, the exiles of Judah and Israel being gathered together, that they have one head who would be the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that more in chapter 2, where it speaks of this one head again. Uh, and great shall be the day of Jezreel. In other words, it's speaking about uh, when they are all joined together as one nation again. And that includes us, because we are grafted in among God's people. And that brings us to uh, chapter 2, and it still continues this play on uh, the names that God tells Hosea to give to his children. Uh, he says, Say ye unto your brethren, and so Hosea is to speak to his brethren, the, the people of Israel, Ami. Uh, Ami means my people. Am is a word for people, and the I ending uh, Ami means my people. So say ye unto your brethren, Ami are my people, and to your sisters, Ruhama, which was uh, mercy. And plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born, and make her as a wilderness, and set her like a dry land, and slay her with thirst. And I will not have mercy upon her children, for they be children of whoredoms. For their mother hath played the harlot, she that conceived them hath done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil, and my drink. And so God tells Hosea to plead with his people, uh, with his brothers and sisters, uh, my people and, you know, those who receive mercy. Uh, he's to, to use that name and he's to plead uh, with your mother, uh, which is again using Gomer, his wife, as a similitude or similitude, uh, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. In other words, because the people of Israel have turned away from the Lord, who brought them out of Egypt and brought them through the wilderness and brought them into the promised land and gave them that land, and the one who blessed them with all these things because they turned away from the Lord God and worshipped and honored Baal or Baalim. Baalim is plural, uh, so it's a, you know many gods uh, connected with Baal or the god Baal. Uh, 
the pagan idol. Uh, so because the people of Israel had turned aside to worshiping and giving credit to Baal for doing all these things. Uh, God is saying, you know, you're no longer my wife. I'm not your husband. Uh, you need to put away your whoredoms uh, out of your sight, your adulteries from between her breasts, or God's judgment is going to come. And, you know, I find it interesting to, to look at uh, Genesis Genesis chapter 32 in relationship to this. If you hear my chair squeaking, I'm reaching for my Bible. I left it on the other table here. Um, Genesis 32 is where the children of Israel were waiting below, and Moses went up into Mount Sinai, and while they're waiting, uh, they... Uh, end up worshiping a golden calf. And, of course, Aaron, Moses' brother, is complicit in this. It says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought, that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not or know not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool, after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Uh, again, Lord is in all in capital letters, a feast to the Jehovah. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And so they called uh, this false image of God, this golden calf by the name of Jehovah or the Lord and they worshiped him and said that he is the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt and uh, he would be the one who would go before him and so they substituted this image that they had made of who Jehovah is and worshiped and served the image rather than the true God and also you know, when it says that they sat down to eat and to drink and then rose up to play, it probably indicates that they were practicing uh, some of the sexual orgies and things that went together with the worship of Baal or Baal, which was very common uh, throughout the lands uh, that they were in and even in Egypt from where they had come to include some of these pagan practices and worship. So they probably, you know, were familiar with them and practice them again. And so the people of Israel had been unfaithful, and God compares it to, to whoredoms, to adulteries. Uh, again, that comparison with marriage, where in at betrothal, uh, a covenant is made between a man and a woman to be faithful to each other uh, and to be one. And if one part or the other breaks that covenant and goes and has sexual relationships with another or even lusts after another. They are breaking that covenant. Well, the people of Israel, uh, this is compared to God's relationship with the people of Israel. He's their God. Uh, he is their husband, and the people are his wife in the same way as in the New Testament. You know, Jesus is the bridegroom, and we, the church, are the bride of Christ. But if we're unfaithful, we are committing adultery uh, because we are betrothed to Christ. We, we are his. Uh, in our baptism, we were joined to him, and we're a part of this new covenant uh, in which we are Christ and have God's mercy and forgiveness for the sake of Jesus' shed blood. And so if we compromise our faith or we give credit to another for the things we have or we seek to live for other things and put them before God, we're we're committing adultery, uh, we're committing whoredoms, we're being unfaithful, just like Israel did. 
And God said, you know, in verse 3, lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born and make her as a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. In other words, God saying, if, if Israel does not repent and return to him and be faithful, you know, he's going to take away all the blessings that he has given her. He's going to strip her naked and take all the all the clothing that he provided for her, and she's going to be like the day she was born. Uh, her land, the good land that God had given her, he's going to make it like a wilderness instead of a cultivated land, and she's going to be like a dry land. He's going to slay her with thirst. She's not going to even have water to drink. And God says, I will not have mercy upon her children, for they be the children of whoredoms. And so God's not going to have mercy upon the the people or their children because uh, they are the result of unfaithfulness to God and the children are continuing in uh, the ways of their parents. Uh, and it explains further at verse 5, For their mother hath played the harlot. She that conceived them hath done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, mine oil and my drink. And so instead of going after God and following him and trusting in him, uh, she goes after her false gods, thinking that all these things that God provided, that these came from uh, the idols that, she, that the people worshipped and served. And, you know, Baal is... Baal was thought to be a god of fertility, a god of, uh, of rain, the one who would send the rain and cause the crops to grow, the one who would uh, bless your cattle and enable them to uh, reproduce and have more cattle, more, more flocks and herds, uh, the one who even blessed your wife and enabled her to have children. And who is really the one who blesses us with all those things? Well, it's not Baal. It's not some idea that we come up with about who God is and what he does. It is the God who has revealed himself to us in the Bible, uh, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, who created the world, created the heavens, uh, who gave us life, and who continues to give us life. And so when it speaks about, you know, uh, their mother going after uh, her lovers, uh, she it it's, uses the picture of, you know, a harlot trying to go after those who uh, support her in her trade, who are you know who give her things for her services, uh, and it compares that to the people of Israel going after false gods and idols, uh, and giving them credit for what God actually provides, and and so God says, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna take all this away and show you that. Uh, your idols don't really give you these things. Uh, it's also, I think, I find it interesting when Elijah had the contest with the prophets of Baal. Uh, Baal is supposed to be the god who, you know, blesses crops and gives rain and thunderstorms and things like that. And here, Elijah says, you know, it's not going to rain except at my word. And for three and a half years, it didn't rain. Uh, because Baal is powerless. Baal couldn't do that. Baal is not the one who blessed them and gave them the, the early and the later rains to make their crops grow. And so, you know, under Elijah, God removed the rain and, and nothing grew. And then uh, as far as the fire for the sacrifice, only the Lord God could send down fire to consume the sacrifice. And then Elijah prayed, uh, and finally God sent rain uh, after this uh, contest. So it is only the true God who provides us these things. And we might say, well, how does, how does all this apply to us? And I think probably the best example, and it could, it's an example that uh, we're all guilty of to a degree, uh, but certainly... The people in the world uh, fall for this, but even Christians uh, fall into this as well. Uh, people who are successful or work and 
you know, whether they have money or property or uh, goods, they feel like, you know, they've earned all this. They've done the work and, and they've, they've produced it themselves. And they give no credit to God for uh, his blessings upon their work or even for giving them the ability to do the work that they do. And so people say, you know, it's because of my intelligence, uh, because of my knowledge that I was able to do these things. But who gave them that knowledge? Who enabled them to do these things? And who blessed their work? And they forget and they take credit to themselves. And so many today, you know, look at the things that they have. Well, I, you know, I, I work for this. I earn this. It's something that I've done instead of giving credit to God. And we even like to do that with our salvation. Uh, people are very hesitant to acknowledge that all their works are filthiness in God's eyes. They're corrupt. And the only work acceptable to God is the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, his perfect and holy life, his innocent sufferings and death in our stead. And the only way to be right with God is through faith in Jesus. But we always want to say, well, you know, I believed, or I did this, or I did that. I go to church, or I support the church. And therefore, I'm deserving of, of all these things or of God's blessing. Well, you know, if we got what we deserve, uh, it would be his wrath and punishment. It's only by the grace and mercy of God that we instead receive mercy and blessing. And so God goes on here at verse 6. Here he says, Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. And so the picture here is, you know, of the, of the prostitute trying to find her way back to her lovers, uh, but she cannot get there because God, you know, puts up thorns and a wall to keep her so she can't find her paths. Well, what is really pointing to is the fact that uh, God is going to take away from Israel uh, the way to all these false gods and the way to seek after them. God's going to hedge up uh, their way with thorns and make it a wall so she, you know, can't find their way. And, uh, you know, like the, the prostitute following after her lovers, but she never catches up to them, seeks them, but never finds them. Uh, it becomes, I guess, one example of, of this is the fact that so often in life, you know, where we always are seeking after just a little bit more. You know, if only I had this, or if only this happened, then I'd be happy, then I'd be content, then I'd be satisfied. But the more we have, the more we seek and are never satisfied. And so it's always just a little bit more, just a little bit more. If I just just had this, you know, but of course, we never really reach peace or satisfaction uh, in this life uh, because all these things continue to fail us. And God here, you know, says, I'm going to cut them off, take them away. So you know, you're not going to you're not going to have these blessings anymore. Uh, it reminds me of the prodigal son who, you know, when it was time for the, you know, getting, he was getting up there at a time when he thought about his inheritance and uh, he was old enough to have it. And so he asked his father to give him his portion uh, right away. And then he goes off and he squanders it on riotous living and ends up, you know, he's thinking that you know, this is going to be the way to happiness and to enjoy life, but he ends up, you know, feeding pigs uh, and not having anything to eat except for, you know, he's eating the husks of the, the grain that and the corn that he was feeding the animals and uh, until he finally comes to his senses. And we have the same thing here at verse 7 uh, where it 
where finally she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than now. And so we're often not satisfied with what God provides, and we're always seeking something better. And we go after it thinking we know better than God, and we end up, you know, in the pig, pig pen, uh, eating the husks. And uh, by the grace of God, uh, sometimes we come to our senses and we realize, you know, it was better for, better for me when, before I went after this. And so like the prodigal son who finally came to his senses and thought, you know, I don't deserve to be uh, my father's son anymore, but even my, even his servants have it better than I do. I'll go back and tell my father, you know, I've, I've, I've blown it. I don't deserve to be your son, but just make me a hired servant. I'd be glad to serve you as a hired servant. And of course, you know, the father sees him coming from a long ways off and he throws a, a party, a celebration because his son who was lost uh, is found and he has returned and uh, he is received back as a son. And how often that happens to us where we go our own way thinking, you know, that somehow we can achieve more going our own direction and following after you know, the false gods that we make up in our own minds. Uh, and then finally, we see the failure and we come to our senses. And, you know, God's in his mercy is calling us and waiting for us to come home, to come to him and to acknowledge him. And so the woman here, Israel, uh, will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better with me than now. And at verse 8, For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. In other words, the people of Israel did not know that it was God who was blessing them. It wasn't Baal or Baal, their idol, their own idea of God. Uh, she didn't know that God is the one who gave her the, the grain the wine, the oil, who multiplied her, her money or her silver or gold, uh, which they then turned around and devoted to Baal. Uh, and they even did that with children. You know, God gave them children, and they turned around and offered some of them to Baal as a sacrifice, thinking that uh, they would please Baal and be richly blessed by, by doing this. And so God says, since the people of Israel did not know and recognize that he was the one giving these things to them, therefore will I return and take away my corn in the time thereof and my wine in the season thereof and will recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. And now will I discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers and none shall deliver her out of mine hand. I will also cause all her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, and her Sabbaths, and all her solemn feasts. I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, whereof she has said, These are my rewards that my lovers have given me. In other words, she's trusting in her idols to give them to her. And I will make them a forest, and the beast of the field shall eat them. And... I think, you know, we're beginning to see this happening in our own country, that God has so richly blessed us, but do we give him thanks? Do we acknowledge that it's God who has given us all these things? No, we feel like, you know, we've earned them ourselves, you know, that we have worked hard and we have brought all these blessings and we've made this a great nation. And instead of trusting in the Lord God to defend us and protect us and to bless us, uh, we trust in our military might and in our form of government and, you know, in our ability to work and to do all these things. We take the credit to ourselves. And so how can God show us that he's the one who provides these things, but take them away? And, you know, with inflation and with government debt and all these things, you know, we may very well be coming to the time when all these blessings are taken away 
because instead of being thankful to the Lord God, we take all the credit ourselves. And instead of trusting in the Lord God to uh, give us peace and protect us from our enemies, we trust in our military might and technology, and we may find that it all fails. Uh, and we, as a nation, even fall. You know, it's in God's hands, but he may take away all these blessings and protections that he has so graciously given us. And uh, when God does that, uh, no one's going to deliver us out of his hand. Uh, God may cause all our mirth, our joy to cease, our parties, our feast days, our celebrations uh, to come to an end, uh, to destroy, you know, our crops. Uh, in their day, it was the vines and the fig trees, uh, which, notice, God's the one who gave them to them, but she said, these are my rewards that my lovers have given me. In other words, she obtained them by uh, adultery with uh, false gods or uh, serving serving other gods. And God says, I'm going to make them a forest and the beast of the field shall eat them. In other words, he's going to strip them away from, from her and uh, they'll become a place for wild animals. Uh, verse 13, and I will visit upon her the days of Baalim by ending the adding the I am ending on the end of Baal it makes it plural Baalim so now you have instead of just Baal you have Baals uh, where she burned incense to them and so God's going to carry out judgment against those days where she burned incense to the various forms of Baal and to the other gods, uh, Asherah and other gods associated with Baal, uh, when she decked herself with earrings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers and forgot me, saith the Lord. And uh, so it speaks of God's stripping all these things away and carrying out judgment upon the people of Israel, because instead of acknowledging and serving the true God, they took God's blessings and used them to worship a false God, which, you know, they made according to their own understanding of who God is or was. And of course, we have, we have that today. You know, the Bible says in the commandments that we should not make any graven image. And one of the ways that we make God in our own image is not accepting what the Bible says about God, but trying to make God think like we think. And so we have people who say, well, you know, God would never condemn people to hell. Um, God's a loving God. And, you know, so they refuse to worship the God of the Bible who not only condemns people to hell, but also is merciful in Christ Jesus. And they end up worshiping a God that, you know, just loves everybody and accepts everybody. And it doesn't matter whether you have faith or not, you know, we're all, we're all going to go to heaven somehow uh, that, you know, you can even be worshiping God in different religions. So it doesn't matter. And they would say, well, we're all worshiping the same God, even though quite clear from the Bible is not true. Uh, we see it in regard to uh, same sex marriage and homosexuality. People saying, you know, well, you know, God won't judge these people even though we have clear examples in the Bible of God uh, raining down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, and our Lord Jesus Christ was there uh, with Abraham saying that he was going, you know, and the angels were going to do this. Uh, so instead of accepting the God of the Bible, they make God after their own image, their own way of thinking. And uh, so they end up worship, worshiping Baal or Baal, instead of the true God. Of course, when we read this and we see the judgment coming upon the people of Israel, uh, we also need to look at the last verses of this chapter because God is so merciful. Uh, I keep thinking of the passage in, 
Ezekiel 33, verse 11, and I believe I read that to you last time. Here it says, God says, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? And so God's desire is not to condemn us to hell, though he will if we continue in, in unbelief and impenitence. But God's desire is that we repent and turn to him for mercy and seek his help and strength to walk in his ways. And then in the, in the end of this chapter, we see God's mercy again brought out, as we did in, in the first chapter. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. In other words, why is God going to carry out this judgment and strip all these things away from uh, his bride, the people of Israel? Uh, it's because they've been unfaithful, and he is, his real goal is that they would see the error of their ways and repent and turn back to the Lord God. And so God says, you know, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. And so though God judges her, he still intends to speak comfortably unto her. In other words, to offer her comfort and mercy. And he says, and I will give her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And so God speaks about a time when God will bring her back, when God will allure her and that she will be again his bride and she will be joyful and she's going to sing uh, and be praising God in the same way as uh, they did when they came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishmi, Ishi, and shall call me no more Beali. And again, you know, you read this in the King James, and it might not mean much to you, but Ishi, Ish is the name for, or the word for, a man or a husband. When you put the I ending on it, it means my husband. And Baal is a word that means master. And so if you have the I ending on it, it means my master. So no longer will she call God Baali or my master and worship him and you know, with these idols, but she's going to call the Lord Jehovah Ishi, my husband. Uh, so a completely different relationship than, you know, one who lords it over and is her master, that one that she has to please, or, you know, he's going to carry out vengeance on her uh, to now uh, God says, you'll call me my husband. And he explains why. For I will take away the names of Baalim out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. And so all the names of these false gods, uh, Baal and Moloch and Asherah and these different idols that they worshipped, uh, she's no longer going to speak of them. Uh, they'll no longer be remembered by their name. And in that day will I make a covenant for them with the beast of the field and with the fowls of heaven and with the creeping things of the ground. And I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth and will make them to lie down safely. And so God promises that he's going to make a covenant uh, with the, the wild animals, uh, which, you know, ravaged the land when the people were carried away uh, captive, uh, land was taken over by wild animals, and uh, that was always a, uh, if you read back in the Old Testament when they were given the land, uh, it speaks about, you know, God enabling them to settle the land and remove these wild, dangerous animals uh, from the land so they could live without fear and without 
uh, you know, being torn up by wild animals uh, or, you know, bitten by poisonous snakes, uh, you know, it happened as, you know, God blessed them. But and so God promised to make a covenant with them because when he removed his hand, you know, the, the lions and the bears and, you know, vipers and things that uh, were, were there in the land and uh, the people suffered. Uh, because of them. Uh, and he's going to break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth. And so they won't have to fear their enemies because God is going to be protected them. They, he will make them to lie down safely. So it speaks about uh, God's protection being restored upon his people uh, when they are brought back. And uh, God speaks comfortably to us through the gospel, through the law, we are shown our utter sinfulness in the fact that we stand condemned by God's law, that we are condemned to the eternal fires of hell. But with the gospel, God comforts us and says that my son kept all this law for you, and then he suffered and died on the cross. He paid the price for your sins through faith in him. I forgive you. And I will justify you, declare you just and righteous, and receive you as my own dear children. Uh, and God's protection is over his people, his church. Verse 19 says, And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness, and in judgment, and in loving kindness, and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. And so God here speaks about uh, again being betrothed to him, being taken as his bride. And so there's this covenant between God and us where, you know, where we are his bride and he is our God. And it is a betrothal forever. Not to be broken and come to an end as it had in Israel. Uh, God will betroth thee unto thee unto me, as he says, in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. And so we are declared righteous through faith in Christ. Uh, God's judgment, we are spared God's judgment, was carried out in Christ, and he carries out judgment against our enemies uh, in loving kindness, you know, speaking of his great love for us and in mercies. Uh, again, we're reminded of, and of course we'll come to that, you know, the lo ruhama, uh, the one who had not received mercies. Now God is promising to show great mercy to us in Jesus Christ. And, when you think of what Jesus did, how merciful could God be? You know, he sent his only begotten son into this world as a man to keep the commandments for us, since we couldn't do it. And then he condemned his own son on the cross to pay the price for our sins, all so that we might repent and look to Christ in faith and be forgiven, accepted as God's dear children and given eternal life with him to be betrothed unto him forever. And he says, I will betroth thee unto me in faithfulness. So it will be, you know, God will be faithful to us always. And thou shalt know the Lord. Uh, you know, we will truly know him. I think of the Bible passage in uh, Jeremiah, I believe it is, where it talks about uh, Jeremiah 31 is one place. Uh, there's another passage where it speaks about all their children. Uh, you won't have to teach your children because all the children will know the Lord. But Jeremiah 31 is a, a good example as well. Where it speaks of this new covenant that God is going to establish in Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 31, starting at verse 31 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, 
which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, says the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put, put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And so this is a covenant in which God uh, writes his law upon our hearts, and he forgives our sins because they are paid for in Jesus' shed blood. And so we are betrothed uh, forever unto the Lord and in faithfulness, and we will all know the Lord uh, because we know him through Jesus Christ. And verse 21, And it shall come to pass in that day, I will hear, saith the Lord, I will hear the heavens, and they shall hear the earth, and the earth shall hear the corn, and the wine, and the oil, and they shall hear Jezreel. In other words, God here is speaking about uh, hearing the heavens, and they, they hear the earth, the earth hears the corn, the grain that's growing, the wine and the oil, and they shall hear Jezreel. Uh, just going to some notes here that I have in my study Bible. Uh, points out that here is literally answer and has the idea of responding to something. And so uh, here it speaks about um, the responding, that they're responding to God. And then in the last verses here, he's got a note about uh, the, the prophet is describing in terms of children's names, again, playing upon the name of Jezreel, which means God scatters. Uh, the Lord says he will sow in the earth. Uh, but it speaks not of scattering and judgment, but an expansion and blessing and advancing in the kingdom. And then, of course, uh, we've talked about uh, lo ruhama and lo ami, no mercy receives mercy, and not my people becomes my people. And uh, we'll go back here to the text. So the earth... Uh, responds with corn and wine and oil. Uh, they respond uh, to Jezreel. And God says, I will sow her unto me in the earth. So he's talking about sowing his people in the earth. Uh, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. I will say to them, which were not my people, thou art my people, and they shall say, thou art my God. This idea of sowing in the earth, uh, really it takes us all the way back to before the fall into sin, when God created Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, at verses 26 and 27, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And then listen to the blessing. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Uh, and we see this also a little bit uh, later in chapter 2, where uh, God puts Adam in the Garden of Eden and to care for it and to take care of it. And the picture uh, that many see from this is that God's original creation and making man in his own image and putting everything in subjection to him was that Adam and Eve were to reproduce and they were to uh, replenish the earth and it was to be filled so that the Garden of Eden where man lived in perfect fellowship with God 
was to be expanded and to grow as the number of people grew until it filled the whole earth. Uh, you have the same picture given in God bringing his children of Israel into the land of promise. Uh, they were promised that they would have land from uh, the sea to the west, which would be the Mediterranean Sea, all the way to the great river Euphrates. In other words, that they would expand and grow and their influence would spread further and further. Now, I don't know that they ever really took control of all that land because uh, the Philistines were there troubling them and they never really did get them uh, driven out. There were other heathen nations that were left there and uh, they did not really expand even under David and Solomon, even though they had uh, you know, an expansive kingdom which reached out. They had control over many areas. They really never did take all these areas. Uh, but here the picture is in as God restores Israel, that he's going to sow her in the earth and have mercy on those who had not obtained mercy. Say to those who are not my people, thou art my people, and they shall say, thou art my God. So it speaks of, a, of expanding God's kingdom to fill the whole earth. Another picture of this is in Isaiah chapter 65. And of course, it's also in the book of Revelation, in the new heavens and the new earth. But uh, in Isaiah chapter 65, beginning at verse 17, uh, here is a prophecy and promise. God says, for, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But ye... But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, and her people a joy, and I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die an hundred years old, but the sinner being an hundred years old shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people and mine elect, shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble. For they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call I will answer, and while they are yet speaking I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and the dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, saith the Lord. And so God here again promises a new heavens and a new earth without the curse of sin. Uh, and a, you know, where those who were not his people, now by the grace of God, are his people. And again, uh, before I close, I just want to remind you of, you know, what we read in First Peter last time, and also in the book of Romans. But in in First Peter chapter two, uh, where it speaks about uh, the the chief cornerstone. Uh, behold, at verse 6, it speaks of, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. Then verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, meaning in the, not not weird, but unique in that we are God's own special possession, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And we, we also read uh, from the book of Romans how this is fulfilled in the Gentiles being 
brought into God's kingdom as well. And so God, in the midst of his judgment upon Israel, promises a time when he is going to speak comfortably to his people, that he is going to, with the gospel, bring them to trust in him. He's going to establish an everlasting covenant with them. He's going to richly bless them. He's going to plant them in the earth uh, so that they fill the whole earth. And, uh, you know, this speaks about uh, his everlasting kingdom, which is uh, soon to come upon this world. <clears throat> Do you have any questions or comments tonight? I think we'll save chapter three until next time. I'm starting to lose my voice. But uh, let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would forgive us for so often taking the credit for things that you have done. For thinking that we ourselves have brought blessing upon ourselves instead of acknowledging that all our blessings come from you for worshiping and serving other things before you, for not trusting in you and you alone. We pray that you would forgive us for the sake of our Lord Jesus and that you would restore us unto you, that you would keep us in the true faith, trusting in Jesus Christ alone for forgiveness and life and looking to you for grace and mercy, for your love, your protection. And dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would indeed reveal to us your great love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that in your love you gave your only begotten Son to suffer, to die for us, to redeem us. We pray that you would allure us with your love and move us to love you in return and to trust in you and to honor you with all our lives. We ask these things for the sake of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Any other questions or comments tonight? Yes. It, it it does, and people often, uh, just because you keep hearing it again and again, and people like to say, well, this is science, uh, when it's really not true science, because, you know, we weren't there, and the t even the methods that they use to date these things assume that nothing has changed in the world when we know that, you know, there was a flood that changed everything. And before that, there was also, you know, for the fall into sin changed everything. Uh, and so people get, you know, just assume that all this is true, and it does make it very hard to believe the Bible's record. I think one of the best uh, explanations I've seen of this is actually a presentation made to for kids in Answers in Genesis. And uh, there's a video, it's like an hour and a half long, but it goes into so many of the arguments that uh, evolutionists like to use, and it shows they're really not proven. Uh, some of the interesting things that, you know, they bring out, you know, they talk about, uh, he reads from Genesis, and he talks about, you know, all the animals ate plants at the beginning and of course now modern science says you know well if they have sharp sharp teeth or big canines they're meat eaters 
And he said, well, look at bears. They have these big, sharp teeth, canines, and, you know, they can eat meat, but what is their main food? Their main food was is still berries and plants uh, that, they, that they eat. And so just having sharp teeth doesn't prove that, you know, they were always meat eaters. And so, you know, when the Bible, like we read tonight, uh, speaks about uh, the lion eating, you know, and the wolf eating straw or eating plants, uh, there's nothing, uh, there's really no problem with that biblically. And then he goes into a lot of detail about the age of the earth and how we know the age of the earth and dating. So it's, it's a really good video. I'll have to send you the, I'll have to find it and send you, send you the link. It's pretty interesting. I found it, I had Lee watch it, but I found it really interesting and educational myself. So yeah, I'll find it after we're done here and I'll send it to you. So. Yep, he is, and he finds all kinds of angles to try to challenge our faith and to cause us to doubt, so. I will do that. Good night. You all have a good night.